Here in this space, we're going to be digging into God's Word. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, uh, the end of the chapter, verses 28 and following through verse 30. And then we're going to skip a few verses and uh, continue the story in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. So if you have your Bibles, I hope that you'll follow along with me there. Again, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, and then skipping to chapter 12, verse 9. If not, you can follow along with the words on the screen as we together hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then skipping to verse 9 of chapter 12. Jesus, going on from that place, went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, will you not... Take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, is it lawful? It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as his other hand. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. And together we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Let's pray together, church. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the invitation it contains for us this morning. Father, I understand that all of us are coming from a different place. And so as Molly invited us in worship, I now invite us in uh, listening to God's word to just take a moment to assess yourself and offer anything that might be distracting you or holding you back from uh, opening yourself to the Holy Spirit and to God's word to just hand it over to God with open hands. Father, Please bind my tongue and my lips that no false word might pass from them. Move me aside completely that it might just be you speaking. For you know what each and every heart needs to hear. Love you, Father. Amen. Well, good morning, church. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I hope you'll come and snag me after service and introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. My name is Zach Anderson. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant. Uh, Last week, we looked together at Genesis chapter 1, and I'll give us a quick recap for those of us who weren't here. So Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3 is the story of creation. And uh, this story of creation, so often when we look at it, we become preoccupied with the when and the how of creation, and it's to the exclusion of the who and the why. 
We become focused on the when and the how of creation, and we completely miss out on the who and the why of creation. Uh, The creation story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is a song, and we know this because it has structure and order. There are these repeated phrases, and God said, let there be, and it was so, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first, second, third day, etc., Uh, And so this song of creation is broken into eight verses, and I don't mean verses like Bible verses. I mean verses like verses of a song. The first one is an introduction verse, and then the, the next seven verses each represent a day of creation, each day of creation representing something that God did to bring order to the chaos of existence. And we'll look together at the seventh day of creation, the final verse of creation's song. And I held it back last week because I think it has something to offer us this morning. So we'll read it together. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, you might have noticed many differences between this verse and the other six days of creation verses of the song, right? Those signal phrases that I mentioned are not present. But of all the differences, there's one that we're going to key in on together this morning. And that's this. Each other day of creation song ends with this signal phrase signaling the passage of time from one day to the next. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And this signal phrase lets us know that the the sun is setting on one day and rising to a new day, but this signal phrase is missing from the final verse of creation's song. And I think that's on purpose. What's the significance of this missing phrase from the seventh day of creation i'll put it to you this way i believe that god's original design for all of creation was for god and the human race to work and rest together in the creation forever it's the only verse without an end the only song The only verse of the song, the only day of creation without an end. If you were a writer of songs, I've written a couple of songs. You don't leave something out by accident, right? When you write a song, you write the words on purpose. I believe it's on purpose that this last verse of creation song has no end. Because God's original design was for us with him working and resting in the creation forever but that has been broken that has been broken Uh, god's chosen people israel modeled the rhythms of their life after this rhythm that god exhibits in the song of creation exodus chapter 20 verses 9 through 11 this is right in the middle of the ten commandments and it says this Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it 
you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns for or because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God is a God of rest, and God's people modeled their lives after the example of God in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Six days they would do all their work. The seventh day was known as the Sabbath, a day for resting. No work. They would have to prepare ahead of time to be able to rest on the Sabbath day. However, in God's family, in the church, in modern-day non-Jewish culture... This practice of Sabbath rest has essentially been completely lost. But not only have we lost the practice of Sabbath rest, we have largely lost respect as a culture for rest itself. And instead, we glorify busyness and a general sense of hurry. As a state of existence, slow equals bad, fast equals good. We see this in marketing, right? Just a few years ago, the picture of wealth in marketing in America was one of leisure, right? Someone relaxing on a beach or on their yacht, maybe in their country club. That was the picture of wealth, just rolling around in all your money. It was a joke. You can laugh. Um... But now, just a few years removed from that, largely the picture has shifted. Now the picture of wealth in marketing is much more commonly represented by a New York City street, a businessman or businesswoman walking hurriedly down the street, briefcase in hand, phone to ear, somewhere to be, money to make. The speed of our life has changed And fast has been glorified and slow has been decreased in our esteem. For more context, uh, I'll ask you to just think back over the last seven days of your life. Maybe I'm willing to bet that the majority of the people in this room have participated in this conversation on one side or the other in the last seven days. Hey, how's it going? How have you been? Good busy yeah you're laughing because i got you i pegged you you have been a part of this conversation on one side or the other in the last seven days uh there's a pastor and author who i follow named john mark comer he wrote a book called the ruthless elimination of hurry it's been very helpful in my own journey of moving out of a state of existence that is hurried and rushed and into rest. And I highly recommend it for you. He had this to say that adds context to our discussion this morning. In the 1960s, futurists all over the world, from sci-fi writers to political theorists, thought that by now we'd all be working way fewer hours. One famous Senate subcommittee in 1967 was told that by 1985, almost 40 years ago, the average American would work only 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. 
Everybody thought the main problem in the future would be too much leisure. This is hysterical, right? I mean, that's just barely over a quarter of the average working Americans working hours annually. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Now, maybe in this moment, you have been somewhat convinced. All right, Pastor Zach. All right. Maybe I need to slow down a little bit and increase some resting time in my schedule. Maybe I'll find an hour here or an hour there to take a nap or read or eat a delicious meal with a friend or whatever it is you do to rest. Maybe I'll find some time. But this response does not indicate and is not matched with the level of threat that hurry poses to our lives. Friends, one of the most valuable commodities that you have in your possession is your attention. Your attention. And we give it away so freely. In a study by Digital Marketing, uh, it was found that the average social media user in America uses around two hours and three minutes of social media time every single day. Statista uh, did a similar study, but turning their focus to television and streaming, and they projected, based on recent trends... That in the year 2022, the average American adult would spend upwards of three hours per day watching TV, Netflix, streaming, whatever. But guys, that was a downward projection from the actuals of 2021. That's five hours per day for the average American spent on social media and TV alone. And I haven't said anything about computer or video games or the thousands of other ways that this little attention black hole we carry around in our pockets everywhere we go takes our focus. And if you think the war for our attention stops at our eyes and our thumbs, you're wrong. Because a general state of hurry in our lives, the busyness of moving from one task to the next, one activity to the next, one thing on our to-do list to the next, is just as critical a piece of the strategy. And it's just as deadly. A former Catholic priest and author named Ronald Rollheiser had this to say about the dangers of hurry for our spiritual lives. Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit, We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, 
more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life that they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. How do you know if you are falling prey to, as Rollheiser put it, pathological busyness and the dangers it poses to your spiritual lives? Maybe you've been here. Maybe you've sat down to spend time with God, sat down. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read my devotional. And you sit down and about five minutes in, you realize that for the last four minutes and 39 seconds, you have been thinking about something completely different than what you intended to do. Anyone been there? Yeah. How about this? Maybe you sit down to spend time with God, to pray, uh, and to just enjoy God's presence, to rest with God, and you have these expectations, these high expectations for what it's going to be like. I'm going to feel connected to my Heavenly Father. I'm going to feel His love. I'm going to rest in His presence. And you sit down to try, but instead of the richness that you expected, you feel emotionally and spiritually dry. And instead of the connection to God for which you hoped, you only feel disconnection. Anyone? These are the symptoms of pathological busyness, of hurry. Because, friends, when we go from one activity to the next, one to-do list to the next, one application to the next, one website to the next, one TV show to the next, we have no time remaining to offer to God and definitely no time to offer the care of our own souls. And our souls just aren't as fast as our bodies. In our minds. The good news is, this is not a problem unique to the digital age. If you still have your Bibles, turn back with me to Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew 11, Jesus offers this beautiful invitation to come to lay your burdens down at his feet and to rest. It's in verses 28 to 30, and let's read it. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will, that's promise language, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you were paying close attention, you might have noticed something that Jesus didn't say. This is what he did not say. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my nap upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. He didn't offer you a nap. What did he offer? A yoke. And you might be thinking, well, Jesus, I thought you knew this, but a yoke is not restful. Um, A yoke 
means work. A yoke was a piece is a piece of equipment that maybe a farmer would use to hitch two oxen together and hook them up to a wagon or a plow or a cart to pull it. That's work. So Jesus, why are you offering me work so that I can find rest? Well, Jesus knows something that sometimes we miss. If Jesus were to be offering us a nap, he would be offering us a short-term solution for a long-term problem. And Jesus knows that that is not going to cut it. Jesus knows that what we need is a new way of life to fix the things that put us in this position in the first place. Here's what a wise farmer does when it receives a new ox into its possession. It takes its oldest, most experienced ox, and it hitches it up with the brand new ox in the same yoke. And it works them together, pulling the plow, pulling the wagon. And here's what happens. Step by step, turn by turn, day by day, the new ox learns... From the experienced ox, how to do all the tasks that are asked of it. And this is the invitation from Jesus for you and for me this morning. Jesus says, Come to me. If you are weary and burdened, come. Lay your burdens down and come and take my yoke. Be hitched up right beside me. And step by step, turn by turn, day by day, you will learn how I live my life. You will learn the rhythms of my soul, the practices that make up my schedule, the way that I deal with stress, the way that I do my job of being savior of the world, the way that I pursue God. You will learn how I do these things and there and only there will you find true rest for your souls. Friends, this is the invitation that Jesus has for us today. And I, here in Matthew, I love the storytelling because it doesn't stop with just a teaching. The author of Matthew has this awesome teaching from Jesus and then proceeds to tell two stories in Matthew chapter 12 of Jesus living this out, giving us some example. So we'll read in chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Going on from that place, he, Jesus, went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they, that is the Pharisees, asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Friends, this story is actually crazy. 
Okay, did you hear what just happened? Jesus just took this man and healed him of what was likely a lifelong malady, right? Something that that limited his job opportunities, possibly his social capital, or even his own self-worth, this shriveled hand, and he healed him in a moment. And because he healed him on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees went away from that experience. They left that experience with this in mind. How can we kill this man? That is bananas. The reason it seems so crazy is because we are very far removed from practicing the Sabbath with the same religiosity as the Pharisees. But church, I'm afraid that our own lives are often not too dissimilar. Because here's what's really going on here. What's really going on here is the Pharisees are so distracted by the when and the how of following the Sabbath that they miss out completely on the one who is the who and offers the why. They are so preoccupied with figuring out how do we walk right up to the line of following the Sabbath, make sure we get every little bit right, that they completely miss out on Jesus, the one who is here to say, hey, enter into my rest. I mean, they were very likely sitting there listening to Jesus's invitation. Come to me if you're weary and burdened. But they were so distracted, their attention completely consumed that they missed out on him entirely. And they left that place saying, how do we kill this man who is ruining our legalism? Friends, we are not too dissimilar from the Pharisees. Only our distraction isn't with a legalistic application of Jewish law. Our distraction is with our phones, our social media, our Netflix shows, our schedules, our to-do list, and any of our priorities that are put above loving and knowing God and sharing Him with the world. We become so preoccupied with whatever it is for you in your life that we miss out completely on the one who says, Come to me and I will give you rest. The one who has released us from hurry so that we might experience and enter into his rest. This is so important This is so important, and it's so important for this community. Friends, in this community, we fill our lives to the brim with activities, with anything to soak up our attention. Good things, right? Good things. We are a busy, busy people, and we don't leave time. For God. And it leads us to this position 
that we talked about earlier of feeling spiritually dry and disconnected. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. So what can we do? What can we actually do about this problem and this invitation? Well, we could spend years talking together about the practices, all the rhythms and practices that made up Jesus's everyday life, about what it means to be yoked beside him and learn from him step by step, day by day, the way he lived his life. We could spend years on that, and I'm almost out of time for today. So today I'm going to offer two things, an encouragement and one practice to start. Now, if this really piques your interest and you're like, man, I want more, I want more of this, please, please, please reach out to the leaders of this church and they are so excited to help you. Because learning together how we walk beside Jesus, sharing his yoke day by day, what are the practices that made up his life, that make up our lives, how do we follow him? That's our discipleship journey, and that is the true purpose of the church. It's not this Sunday service. It's not singing songs. It's not preaching a sermon. The true purpose of the church is growing as disciples together. This is an open, standing invitation for all of you. Reach out to us. We want to walk beside you in this. Right? We're all just walking this same journey. But for today, an encouragement and a practice. The encouragement is this. Jesus' invitation for you to come is for you to come just as you are. Right now. Now, so often when we use that language, just as you are in church settings, what we're talking about is with all your sin, all your baggage, all your brokenness, don't clean yourself up. You come to Jesus just as you are. And that is true. But my encouragement specific for you this morning is a little different. Here's the thing, friends. Jesus knows that for the single mother working with kids at home, It looks a little different than for the retired empty nester. Coming to Jesus, accepting his invitation to rest looks a little different depending on your season and your life stage. And that is okay. Jesus invites you to come as you are, only bringing what you have to offer to the table. All right, so any preconceived notions about what this should look like if you're doing it perfectly right... You might be starting to think about this like a Pharisee. Jesus invites you to come just as you are with only what you have to offer today. And for the practice, um, don't get me wrong. We need Jesus each and every single day. And there are so many practices that make up the disciples' life, the rhythms of the way we walk day by day. Many of them daily, but for this, for today, it feels right to uh, talk about taking a step towards this practice of Sabbath rest. So here's the practice. Once per week, create space in your schedule to take a few hours, at least, and this is give or take, customize it to you. Notice, by the way, I said create. Uh, I didn't say find space in your schedule because 
The way you've been living won't allow you to find space in your schedule. When's the last time you stumbled into a few hours of nothing to do? Create space in your schedule to take a few hours every week, give or take, what you have to offer, with no agenda except to rest with God. Just take it as it comes. Now, here's what I mean by resting with God. When I do this practice, I start off my time with a prayer and I just ask God to bless this time. I say, I'm giving you this time. This is time for us to be together, for me to enjoy your presence. Please come and bless me with your presence. And then I do something that is restful for me that I'm able to do with God. So maybe that's a cup of coffee on the couch with a good book. Maybe that's a workout or going to play basketball. You can know if you're able to do something with God, if you're able to think about him and sort of do it with a joyful spirit instead of getting angry. So if you're like, I'll watch the football game with God, and you start screaming at the refs, you probably can't do that with God, at least not right now. Start with something a little easier. Something you can do with God, just having God in your mind's eye throughout the time. Once a week, whatever you can offer, create space. Make a sacrifice. Church, I know this is really big and really overwhelming. How can we move from a lifestyle of hurry that has been conditioned in us by the culture for all our lives into one of rest? I heard on a podcast this week uh, that so often when we face big problems, what we are looking for is a big solution, but that that's hardly ever the case. The solution to a big problem is many small solutions put together into one. And over the course of time, we find that our problem has become not so big. So church, start today. Don't wait for Monday. Monday is a good natural place to start, but this is too serious. Start today. And don't give up. Don't give up. Because Jesus invites you to come. And he promises you will find rest for your soul. You can do this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are a God of rest, that that in the very first pages of our Bibles that we see this reflected, that you are a God of rest. Thank you that we are made in your image, and thus we, in our most natural state, are people of rest. But God, we have been strayed far from this. So we need your help. We need your help. God, as we embark together on this journey of being yoked to Jesus, to learn from him step by step, day by day, give us grace to keep going when it's hard, when it doesn't meet our expectations, when we fail. Give us grace. Give us endurance. And teach us. Let us be a teachable people. 
thank you, Lord, for the rest you have already given to us that we're going to go forth and experience. And Father, as we continue into a time of offering, we ask together as the body and this community that you would bless the gifts that are given, that you would multiply them and let them bear fruit in the community. And I ask, Lord, that you would also bless the givers, that they would experience the freedom that comes from giving things away. We love you, Father, so very much. Thank you for loving us. The ushers come forward for this morning's offering.